Well, greetings, dear friends. It's good to be with you once again on these Monday or Wednesday, <laughs> on these Wednesday Bible classes. May the Lord richly bless you as we share, as we share together today. Uh, we have just come from back in the last week of June, just a couple of weeks ago from our Bible conference that is an annual event here. Uh, and uh, it was a tremendous time together. Uh, I've told you that several times since then. We appreciate all who were able to come. We had people, of course, that was here that regularly come. Uh, we had some that uh, uh, had never been here before, but uh, were here with us during this past Bible conference. And it was just a tremendous time in the Lord. And so we're back on our regular schedule now, and uh, it's good to be with you during this particular time. Um, I want to talk to you, and basically that's, that's what we're going to do, uh, just look at the scripture and just talk to you the theme that the Lord laid upon my heart some time back. And I began in some of the sharings uh, that I do with the Father's house. And we're looking at the Father's house as the house of glory. The, uh, the CDs, the monthly CDs, monthly CD Bible lessons that we send out uh, in July is entitled, in fact, The Open Heaven, The Father's House. And uh, more than likely, we'll continue that theme on these monthly CD lessons for a period of time yet to come. Uh, I know we will continue it in the August CD, and uh, many of you that are watching now receive those CDs. And uh, all you need to do to receive a monthly CD is just let us know, send us your name and address, and uh, we'll begin to mail that monthly CD to you as well. However, what we're talking about in whether it's in that CD on my part or any other time throughout the week. Uh, we have a lot of sharings and scripture searching going out from here on a regular basis. And uh, I have behind me on the board just, you know, just a little diagram there, just across, across. And uh, 
On one side of it, I have the old, and the other side, I have the new. Now, the thought that I'm following through with here is that everything on the one side of the cross, and that includes everything in the Old Testament, everything spoken of in the Old Testament was on that before, before side of the cross. And the old was that which primarily pointed to the Lord, was given of God as a testimony of Christ. But what we could say was on that side of the cross, the testimony was of that which was to come. Or more specifically, he who was to come uh, is spoken of in many ways, the seed, the seed of God that was to come. Uh, in other places, it's called he whose right it is. The one who is the heir of all of the promises of God. Whatever terminology we want to use, it speaks of Christ because on the other side of the cross, the after, the after, after his death, burial, and resurrection, everything on that side of the cross, we have the new. And I just want to tell you, hon, that everything on one side of the cross, the first order of things, the old order of things, even the natural creation that dealt with Adam, and then the more spiritual side that dealt with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and with Moses. Uh, if that points to Christ and to his coming, then the new is Christ himself in his coming. As the scriptures declared that he would do. So again, on the one side of the cross, there is the promise of his coming. On the other side of the cross, there is the reality that he is come. The new is not things about Christ. The new is Christ himself. Christ himself. We're talking about salvation, that's Christ himself. 
we're talking about glory, that's Christ himself. Or we're talking about heaven, that's Christ himself. We're talking about the body, which is, or the church, which is his body. We're talking about Christ himself indwelling believers who are through his eternal spirit in him, in union with him. But the term in him is a term that suggests, well, that declares eternal reality of our union with Christ. Our salvation is not summed up and completed in forgiveness of sins. It is summed up and completed in Christ who dwells in you. And it is Christ himself who introduces us in the scripture, which we're going to be looking at, concerning this union and bringing us by his spirit into this union of the Father and the Son. It is Christ himself who begins to speak to his disciples where we're going to spend a little while in this session. It's Christ himself who begins to speak to his disciples of the Father's house. Now, there are types and shadows of that throughout the Old Testament. They began, well, they began for Israel and for Moses and for a very extensive testimony given of God by Moses to Israel. They began with the house in Goshen. And by the house, I mean the houses that the Israelites were living in right up to the time of their departure. That was the house upon which they had to apply the blood of the Lamb. And really, the first, the first thing said specifically and in the way that it was said concerning the lamb and the blood of the lamb was said, was introduced there to Moses on behalf of Israel. That was the beginning of the first feast of the Lord that was given to Israel. And that was the Feast of Passover. And that started on the day and the night of Israel's coming out of Egypt. But in order to come out of Egypt, they had to come in through the door 
of the blood of the Lamb of God. And so in the very beginning of what was actually their salvation, what was actually their deliverance unto, in type and shadow, a full salvation. And that's why that we have on this board just a picture of, of a cross. Because we all know that the cross come to be personified in Christ himself. On the cross is not just a historical event upon Golgotha. The cross is in effect and in reality defined in the person of the Lamb of God. In the person of the Lamb of God. In his death, which his blood clearly represents, and in his burial, and in his resurrection. Because it is the resurrected Christ who brings forth all that we could possibly call the new. The new. A new creation in Christ. The newness of life in Christ. Understanding that Christ himself is that newness. Sweetheart, everything of our salvation, including the Father's house, everything of our salvation, everything, without any exception at all, is found in the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he dwells in us by his eternal spirit. What is the door to which we have come? Christ. What is the door through which we enter the Father's house, Christ. What is the glory into which we are brought? The glory of the Father's house. It is Christ. And it is this same Christ who dwells in you. I don't know how full we'll get in all of these scripture references, but it is this same Christ that we're going to read concerning in a moment here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 and then chapter 17, and also in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And you know we're not going to get through all those verses, so I'm going to just talk about some of them with you here as a preliminary to actually looking at them. But it is this same Christ of whom I'm speaking that tells his disciples, I will come anew and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be 
also. We want to talk a lot about some of those words and the whole statement included. But then he goes on to say, in that day, speaking of the day of his coming and indwelling the believer, in that day you will know. And here's where he sums it up, that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And that's verse 20 of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, where we will be. So, with that little introduction, I want us to begin to look at the house of glory. I have also called it the greater works of God in Christ. The greater works of God, greater than any of the works that are listed in your Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi. Those works all pointed toward this greater work, without exception. Without exception. Hunter, whether, it, whether it was the whole first creation, the Adamic creation or not, it pointed in the mind, heart, and view of God toward a greater creation yet to come, which is now come in Christ. And then we can go on. From there, with Abraham, the same way. And with, with uh, uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and the same way. And then with Moses and the deliverance and salvation of Israel, the mighty works of God that were on display throughout that. And then even with Ezekiel, uh, with Elijah, and Elisha, all of those things are there in what I call the testimony. That's because that's what the Old Testament is, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, search the Scriptures, for in them you believe you have eternal life, and they are they, they are they, all of them, they are they which testify of me. And he goes on to tell the Jews at that time, and you will not come to me. You have the testimony of me. You have the scriptures which all speak of me. And here I stand in your midst, and you will not receive me. And it's true, he came to his own, his own received him not. But the sentence doesn't stop there, it goes on, but as many as received him. Unto them gives he the power to become the sons of God. And we'll be talking about in the, uh, in sometime in, in this little session of teachings, we'll be talking about the coming of that power. Because that is the power of life, resurrection and life, that, that Paul says, now worketh in us. Well, yes, it's Christ in you. But is Christ working in you as the resurrection and the life? 
Hallelujah, hon. We have come to a, to a living, a living, eternal salvation. And it's a terrible thing. In my mind, it's a terrible thing that we have reduced the significance of that which we now have in Christ by a number of traditions, religious traditions, and religious doctrines. Rather than coming to comprehend that our salvation is Christ himself, we've divided it up in so many doctrines, I'm not for sure how many that there actually are. Because it seems like every branch of the church, every denomination of the church has their own doctrines. When sweetheart, if our salvation is anything but Christ, then we don't have salvation. We just have a religion. And yet, we do have true salvation. Christ does dwell in the believer by his holy, eternal spirit. And in Christ, we'll look at that in John 14. You can read it anytime. In Christ, we are come and dwell in the Father's house. And his house is the house of of his glory. A glory that is far beyond any type and shadow of glory that was given or used of God in the Old Testament, in the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew 16, so we want to start. Matthew 16, verse, uh, let me see. Yes, let me change my glasses. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came unto the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, the reason I'm going back to this is because I want to set, I want to set a, uh, I want to set a foundation uh, for these sessions uh, that, at the end of all of the gospel, of all of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, toward the end of those, there is a, you'll notice that Christ 
begins to spend more time with the disciples, and he began to speak less and less and less of the parables which he had used to speak to the Jews because they refused to understand anything else he said. And he began to speak very specifically to his disciples. At one time, I don't know how many disciples there were, because I'm not just talking about the twelve, but we read in John's Gospel, chapters 5 and 6, we read in there how that as he began to stress in the words that he said to his disciples and to those that would follow him and in some degree did follow him, he began to emphasize a relation, a union that was at hand. He said in one place, you, in reading, you need to read, you need to read the first eight chapters of the Gospel of John because they're filled with what I'm telling you. He began to move toward, that's one of the places where he told the Jews something he had never said to them before concerning, concerning the temple that was in their midst when they asked him about his authority. He said, well, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. This he spake concerning his body. And hun, he spake concerning that body that we are because he went on to talk to his disciples about that. And what we are going to find that it is is the greater house of God than the old temple, than the old temple could properly set forth, even in type and shadow. The old temple at the time that Jesus came upon the earth had lost all of the appearance of the glory of God that it had back during the time of David and Solomon and before that the time of Moses and Joshua. But his glory had totally departed. And yet now his glory came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ but with a natural eye and the hardened heart of Israel. They could not see him as the glory of God. Do you remember what I'm talking about where he went into the temple and chased them all out, uh, the money changers and all of that. They had desecrated all of the sacrifices. He chased them all out and set himself down and taught the people. You remember that? He showed himself at that time to be the glory of God. The first time that the glory of God had been in that temple since the time of the captivity, captivity in Babylon. First time. But not as a light, not as smoke, 
but as the living, eternal Son of God, sent of the Father unto Israel, and they wouldn't receive him. You remember on Mount Sinai, yeah, Mount, Mount Sinai, with Moses, who wanted to see the glory of God, went up into the mountain and was able to see the hinder parts. In other words, is able to see the lesser, the lesser glory. But it was promised right then that he would see the greater glory, yet not in his generation. Christ, Paul says, 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, you begin there with verse 10. It's a good place to start and go through verse 18. And then go on into the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, 3 and 4. And Paul talks about the coming from that glory, the lesser glory, the glory that Israel could not even look at then, the lesser glory. They put a veil upon the face of Moses, and finally, from the face of Moses to the face, to the inward face of the tabernacle, a veil was hung. And all of it hid, even the glory of God in type and shadow. But, hun, Christ is not a type, nor is he a shadow. And let me tell you something. The 33 and a half years he spent on earth showing himself to Israel and then more, much more, because of their refusal, showing himself to his disciples. For three and a half years he appeared as the greater glory of God. No, not dwelling in his disciples. He told him he couldn't dwell in them at that time. But in John 14, he explains, I will dwell in you. I will dwell in you. And in John 17, he says, and you will see my glory. He says, Father, that they be in me where I am, that they may behold the glory which thou hast given me, that they may behold in me, Father, your glory. Now, sweetheart, that's our salvation. So we're coming out. I've done this little thing this morning just to bring us out of the type and shadow because they're all there. And, and I, love to, I love to read about them. I love to look at those scriptures. Why? Because I see the whole thing fulfilled in Christ who dwells in me and who dwells in you, who dwells in the dwelling place of the Most High where he has brought us in himself. Oh, hallelujah, honey. Hallelujah. The house of glory is what we're talking about. So Jesus begins here, Matthew 16, specifically speaking to them concerning the cross because that's where everything of the old ends and that is out from which everything of the new comes forth in the power of the Spirit, in the power of His resurrection. 
and in the power of life, L-I-F-E, eternal life. Honey, eternal life is not something you will have. If you have Christ, it's something you do have by Christ dwelling in you. It isn't yet to come. It's eternal. And is, if Christ be in you, is always come and yet in action, inwardly, is always coming. Always coming. I'm not talking about something coming from without within. He comes from without within at new birth. But then he just continues to come. Much of that in the New Testament is translated as appear. Appear. Which is also translated as being revealed and made manifest. All of this, darling, the work of the Spirit of God in you concerning the work that is already done. Who is the work that is so finished? It's Christ. Who told the Father, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Now, Father, this I ask of thee, glorify thy Son. Glorify me with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. You see, hon, that's the glory out from which he came in order to go to the cross, that he might return to that union, to that glory. Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. Glorify me, Father, with thine own self. And then he goes on in chapter 17. We'll read those verses in our sessions to come because they, are, they need to be read and understood that they may be with me, Father, where I am. He just promised them that as in, in, in the chapters before that. Of course, we understand that the Gospel of John wasn't written then in chapters and verses, that they were all there like that, but they were written as an ongoing letter. They may be with me, Father, where I am, and behold my glory. Hallelujah, hon. Hallelujah. Well, he begins to speak concerning those things. He begins to speak concerning his death, burial, resurrection. And he begins to speak to them concerning the salvation of the Lord. He begins to speak to them concerning a union with him and his father. He begins to declare to them more than he ever has as he continues on in, in, toward the end of all of, of all of these Gospels. And particularly toward the end of John, he begins to declare the union that he will bring them into, and he declares to them that he has to leave because of that. He cannot remain in the flesh. He came in the flesh 
to die. But I will come in newness of spirit to receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. And it's a shame that there are traditional type doctrines in different denominations of the, of the church as a religion who read verses like that and point to a time they say has not yet come and they visualize us to be in that future time like we are here. You know, in our own bodies and Christ is going to come in a glorified body and, and, uh, and he's going to shine glory uh, in our midst and on and on and on that goes. There's nothing, there's nothing that, that's like that that is spoken of by Christ and there's nothing like that that is taught in the New Testament. Not really, Han. Not really. And that's the reason I've stressed this morning that on the resurrection side of the cross, everything is new because everything of the new and the old is done away with. The old is just done away with. So we don't have to put it back together in pieces and puzzles. It's done away with. It was a testimony. And it remains to this day written in the scriptures as a testimony of a living reality. Do you, you know what, in my belief, in my opinion, makes these scripture eternal? because they testify of the word of God that's eternal. His being eternal makes his testimony an eternal testimony. You understand? I hope you do. Well, it's not that we go back to the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. It's that we bring, as did the apostles, as did Peter, as did particularly Paul, because he was a student of it. Bring, bring the testimony set forth in the scriptures given by the prophets and promises and all of that. And in the types and shadows, shadows we bring that forth as something not added to, as something fulfilled, made complete in the new. But remember, the scripture never ceases to testify of the new. So Jesus used those same scriptures and presented himself. Presented himself. He didn't say, now, these things used to talk about me. They used to testify of me. No, he said, these are they that testify of me. And they testify of him right now. And they don't add anything to their testimony. He fulfills that testimony. And if we could only learn and adapt to going into the scripture to see 
not something that's yet to come and not something that used to be. If we could go to the scriptures and see the reality of the one who now is. The living word of God liveth in you and he's the one that makes the testimony eternally true. Eternally true. Hallelujah. Maybe it's a new way of reading the Bible, but I trust that it will become your regular way of searching the Scripture. Along with just an honest prayer of our heart, Father, show me your Son. Father, let me hear in the Scripture see the Son who is in me now and the Son in whom as His very body we now dwell. I never cease, I never cease to have that in my heart when I open the Scripture. that I see that testimony fulfilled in the indwelling Christ who is my life, who is all and all and in all. The reason for my existence is Christ living in me. My, my. Hallelujah. So he begins to, to, be, he begins to talk about these things. And it starts right here. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, whom do, you, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, now listen to some of this. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. John the Baptist had his head cut off. They were willing, some, to say that John, who had had his head cut off, was walking around again and talking to the people again. I mean, come on, hon. Seems like they could believe in a miracle but not receive the indwelling, or not receive Christ as he was presenting himself to be. I wonder, I wonder how many Christians today come closer to believing some visible, miraculous thing, other than believing and embracing the greatest, the greatest work of God, that that work of God is in Christ. And that Christ is the finish of it. 
and he himself hath entered into his rest and into the Father's rest because he is the finished work. He's not still adding something to the work that he finished. Why? Because he himself is the work that was finished, is finished, through his death, burial, resurrection, ascendance to the Father, and coming anew to indwell those that received him. <laughs> well, that's what he did, and that's what he does. I wonder how many believers would rather just see another Red Sea open. But the opening of the Red Sea is a far, far less work of God than the work of God in Christ who dwells in you, hon. Who dwells in you. I sat right here I sat right here on this stool. Having, by the very Spirit of God, the greatest work of God, dwelling in my soul. And that's the reason I have to say that those sins are forgiven. And, and I don't make any little thing out of that. I'm just simply saying those sins are forgiven, hon. Our salvation is so much more than the forgiveness of sins. It is, it is the miracle of Christ in you. And that you in Him are brought into the Father's house and made to set in the heaven, in Christ, in the glory of God. Let me show you something. We'll, we'll look at it. As I said, we're just going to talk about some of these things. But let me show you something in Hebrews 2. In Hebrews 2. We'll look at this specifically later on. In some of the searches. Hebrews 2, verse 9 through 11, But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. But how do we see him? We see Jesus, comma, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So we can say, but we see Jesus, who was dead. Because the Lord Jesus tells John, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, or the revelation of Jesus Christ, he says, I am he that liveth 
was dead. Behold, which means look at me, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and of Hades. Oh, my word, darling. That's the one. That's the one who lives in you now. Paul is saying here, Hebrews 2, 9 through 11, but we see Jesus. We're not looking at man. We're not trying to find goodness in man or completion in man. But we see Jesus who died on the cross, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, Here's what I'm reading for. In bringing many sons unto glory. There's no way you can read that, make it say, who will one day at some time in the future bring us unto glory. No. It's the function of our salvation. It became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice through his sufferings. This is talking about the cross, huh? This is talking about his death, his birth. His resurrection is talking about this one living in you. It's talking about our salvation, which is in bringing many sons unto glory. You know where that is? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If this wasn't so, I wouldn't be telling you that. I'm not lying to you. I go, and he's going to the cross. I go to prepare that very place in myself for you. Now that's what he says. And if I go, That's not a question. I will come anew is the true translation there. I will come anew. I will come in newness that I may receive you unto myself that you may be where I am. And as he continues to speak throughout all of those chapters. Father, I pray for them that you would grant them to come, that you by your Spirit would draw them unto me, for except you draw them, they cannot come. 
And yet, Father, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can cometh unto thee, or thy house, or thy household, except by me. Father, I ask for them, that they may be where I am, that they may behold my glory. So, hon, that's what we're talking about. I'm going to stop right here. And it may be just a little early, but I've gone far enough with this. But we're back here, and I would have you just to look here in, in uh, Matthew 16. Because they tell him all of that, and then he gets to the question he wanted to answer in the first place. Because he is, day by day, drawing them closer to himself that he may speak to them of things that he simply cannot say <clears throat> any longer to the Jews. And he saith unto them, But, what a word that turns out to be throughout the scriptures. But, whom say ye that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, Peter. Nothing I've done in flesh and blood, nothing I've said. My Father hath shown this unto thee, which is in heaven. And I say unto you that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this doesn't mean that hell is waging a war against the church and the church can't and that the church is standing up in defense. No, what he is saying here is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the onslaught of the church. The gates of hell shall not be able to keep back any who receive your witnesses and the witness of truth. The gates of hell cannot keep them from coming unto me. Why did he say that? Because he's the one who through his death and burial and resurrection said, I have the keys. I have authority to shut, to open both death and hell. You see, hon, he overcame death by death in that he took death into complete death. And he did that in his own self at the cross. And he came forth in resurrection and life. And that's why I say, hon, that on this side of the cross, 
the new, that which is new. There's nothing other than who Christ is. He is that in the Father's eternal plan and purpose. He is that as our salvation. The very, the very, my, my, the very purpose of our being. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And there's only one house in that new creation, and that's the Father's house. We're not talking about a building that man can build. We're talking about a house that comes forth in the increase of the seed, which is Christ. May the Lord richly bless you, and uh, we will continue. with this with this with this sharing as we look at the house of glory and I want us to look at it in the scripture so you can look at Matthew 16 13 through 21 and then if you will, because we're going to, but you can go ahead to that in Matthew 17, 1 through 9. He had, never, he had never done this with them before. He had done a lot of things. Fed the multitudes, walked on waters, you know, he'd done a lot of things. But this had never happened before. And it did this time because the cross where he comes forth in the reality of the glory of God is being dealt with here and shown to his disciples because they're about to enter into, albeit for a few days, the greatest crisis with which they have ever been faced. And that came with the cross. All right. You can read that, and from there, at least in this study, then we're going to John 14, chapter 14 through chapter 17. The Lord bless and thank you for being with us. It is our privilege to be able to share with you this life, which is Christ. And I appreciate so many of you that help us from time to time with your giving and your support because what you help us to do is not maintain what we already have but to reach out beyond ourselves with this gospel just as we're doing right now and I appreciate you helping us in that way and may the Lord richly bless you for it. Amen.